4: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, as May 1st approaches, high school seniors across California who applied to college are making their final decisions, capping off an application process like no other. The pandemic closed high schools to in-person learning, canceled standardized tests, pushed campus tours online. At the same time, application volumes ballooned at the most competitive schools, even as some students postpone college due to pandemic-driven financial pressures and new responsibilities at home. We look at college admissions in the COVID era. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The college admissions process was changed by COVID-19, virtual campus tours, suspended standardized tests, record numbers of applications, and dwindling acceptance rates. This hour, we'll hear from California high school seniors about their college application experience and where they're headed this fall. And joining me first is Stephanie Contreras-Reyes, a high school senior at Orthopedic Hospital Medical Magnet High School in Los Angeles. Stephanie Contreras-Reyes, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
4: So I understand that COVID-19 took a particularly hard toll on your family. Can you talk about last summer as you were preparing to enter your senior year and why that time was so tough?
3: Definitely. I feel like the COVID-19 pandemic has posed a lot of challenges um, health-wise. And just personally, um, my family was tested positive for COVID-19 back in June. Uh, so you can imagine how difficult it was to live in a nine-person household and kind of still practice social distancing. Um, at that time, I was very sick, and my mom, who has diabetes, and my younger brother, who has asthma, um, also underwent the COVID-19. Um, so definitely, it was really difficult to focus on my schoolwork and yet try to take care of them, administer insulin to my mom, and just be on top of everyone um, it's definitely been very difficult as a first-generation student, um, and especially virtually, being able to reach out for support in order to apply for college, apply for financial aid. So it's definitely a, a really difficult obstacle for, for not only myself, but um, for a lot of seniors throughout the county and throughout the nation.
4: Sounds like you had to figure out a lot of this process on your own. Was there a point where you were worried that you might not even go to college
3: this fall? Definitely. Um, I mentioned that I was a first-generation student, a low-income Latina. So I always uh, strive for college because my parents only had the opportunity to pursue a ninth-grade education. And um, as immigrants, they always embedded the idea that I needed to advocate for my educational needs. And doing so, I, regardless of what was happening during the summer, regardless of whether we were sick or whether uh, my dad lost his job and we faced financial hardship, I definitely had my mindset in attending college. Um, I promised myself I wouldn't uh, force my parents to pay a cent for my education. So I constantly applied for rent relief when we really weren't sure if we had a stable home and definitely con- consistently applied to scholarships in order to um, attend college, yeah, as the first in my family.
4: Wow, Stephanie. And so where are you headed this fall?
3: Um, I still have not made a decision, but amongst the um, colleges that I am considering are Stanford University and the University of Southern California.
4: Um, where were you able to find that support and and motivate yourself that way?
3: Definitely. Um, I feel like it's definitely rooted in my community. Um, I came in a from a community that's really low income and you don't really see too many kids pursue higher education and that motivated me to to be the first you know but definitely not the last. Um, I encourage many of my peers to pursue a college education. I started a mentorship program back at school and I have three younger siblings who I relentlessly help with homework and everything that they need you know so their needs would be um, definitely met. I feel like Definitely knowledge and talent is distributed equally, um, but sometimes resources aren't. So that nature of me wanting to close that gap um, in education definitely pushed me forward to to go through everything. Um, And I was definitely supported by local nonprofit organizations, including Kid City and Thrive Scholars. They were able to support me throughout the whole application process, um, ensure that I applied to really competitive college access programs, win scholarships, and I'm really happy to announce that I'll be attending um, USC or Stanford with a Fulbright scholarship thanks to the Gates Scholarship.
4: <laughs> wow. Well, that is that is really great. I'm so happy for you. Just want to ask you before I let you go, what are you most nervous or excited about in terms of going to school?
3: Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've always... Uh, wanted to find a community no matter where I end up I feel like community support is really essential to me pursuing my higher education I feel like whether I end up at Sanford and um, live a, more than a thousand miles from home I know that eventually I'll come back with the resource and, and knowledge to to kind of make that cycle and invest in my community um, invest in students like myself who are Latinos and are low-income and first-generation students and want to see someone like them um, pursue higher education and achieve their dreams. So I definitely want to set that example and and hopefully inspire many others.
4: Stephanie Contreras-Reyes, thank you so much for talking with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
4: Joining me now is Audrey Dow, Senior Vice President of the Campaign for College Opportunity, a California nonprofit policy and research organization focused on ensuring all Californians have an equal opportunity to attend and succeed in college. Audrey Dow, thanks so much for joining us. Audrey Dow, are you there? You might need to unmute. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. (laughs) So we just heard from Stephanie Contreras-Reyes, who Reminded me just how stressful the college application experience can be, especially for first-generation students. And then add a pandemic to that, oh my, and so happy for her options. Um, Wondering, Audrey Dow, if you could lay out some of the major differences you noticed in California's admissions world this year, beginning with the fact that so many schools, UCs, for example, were seeing record numbers of applications. Why is that?
1: Absolutely. Well, I think that, you know, this was a year unlike any other year we've we've had in the past. Um, You know, students were contending with a pandemic um, and abruptly transitioning from in-person instruction to online instruction in, in very short order. Um, You know, there was a lot that had to be uh, thought about and planned for um, to keep students on the trajectory of going to college. And there were lots of discussions and debates about grading policies. Uh, Clearly, we saw the CSU and UC in California uh, rethinking uh, admissions tests and and putting a pause on the SAT and ACT, really recognizing the challenges students would have trying to access um, a place to take those tests as well as um, the inability in many instances to even prepare for those types of tests. And so, um, you know, I think what we ended up seeing um, was, was um, a surge in applications to our p- public four-year universities in California. And I would attribute that uh, significantly to students wanting to stay in California uh, mm-hmm. because of the pandemic and probably not Um, applying necessarily outside of the state. I would also attribute it to the fact that the SAT and ACT were not a part of the equation. We know that many students, by just having the SAT and ACT as um, part of the admissions requirement, many students see that and, and consider it a barrier, feel that they won't perform well, and so they opt not to apply. And so doing away with those tests definitely likely increased the amount of students participating. Um, So that's, you know, I think the good news on the four-year side is that we did see this increase in applications, but there's really, really bad news um, that we all need to contend with, and that's that at our California community colleges that serve about 2 million students, it's by far the largest system of higher education you know, in the country, but it is the, where the majority of students in California go to college when they do go to college. We saw a drop between fall of 2019 um, to fall 2020 in enrollment at the community colleges of well over 200,000 students. That is almost, you know, that that is the size of the entire University of California system. That's not insignificant, and that will have major Repercussions for the state and its economy um, if if we don't do if we don't act diligently really to reattract those students and re-enroll them.
4: So you're saying while UCs, for example, drew record numbers of applicant applications, Cal State's community colleges saw massive declines in applications. Did the pandemic make college out of reach for some students? I think what
1: the pandemic did was exacerbated existing barriers for students. You know, we know that there is a a real digital divide. And so we had students who couldn't access the online platforms um, that education was now being delivered on. We saw that students just really couldn't physically take courses at home because they may be living, um, you know, in in a home with several other people trying to go to school and work at the same time. Um, and then we saw, you know, students who had to postpone college because uh, they had to work and help contribute to a family's bottom line. They could have had a family, you know, whether that was because family members lost a job or because family members became sick, because family members died. Um, so there were a lot of of reasons. We know that our low-income first-generation students are, without a pandemic, struggling. To support their own families financially. Um, we know, again, that there is a lot of responsibility placed on our low income students to be integral parts of their family with childcare, um, maybe of younger siblings or taking on, again, household responsibilities. So all of that became exacerbated um, during this pandemic. I think the other thing that we can't forget is the fact that, you know, because students were home, they didn't have the benefit of some of the intrusive supports that our high schools provide. So intrusive counseling, um, intrusive outreach to the students to say, hey, stay on track, complete that FAFSA, Um, get your applications in, enroll in school. Um, And so in many instances, students were really isolated um, on islands in their homes. Um, And if they didn't have, you know, uh, an organization like Stephanie benefited from like a City, a Southern California College Access Network. If they didn't have those extra supports, many of them just, you know, did not have the support to keep enrolling.
4: We're talking about college admissions during a pandemic year with Audrey Dow, the Campaign for College Opportunity, a California nonprofit policy and research organization focused on getting Californians to attend and succeed in college. Inviting you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Parents and students, what was your experience applying to college like this year? How are you feeling about your options? What is influencing your final decisions? 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
4: High school seniors who applied to college across California are making a major life decision where to go after a pandemic rocked the application process and made them rethink their priorities. We're hearing from some of these students today and joining me now is Maria Maldonado, a senior from Roman C. Cortina School of Visual and Performing Arts in Los Angeles, who'll be heading to UC Berkeley. Maria Maldonado, thanks so much for joining us.
5: Hello, good morning. Thank you for having me. And congratulations. Though, wondering, Maria, what was your experience
4: applying to schools like this year?
5: My experience was definitely not what I had been preparing for, like, my whole life. Um, since the beginning, I knew that I was going to apply to college, and I had an idea of how that was going to go. And then the pandemic struck, and... Just everything was so different and like foreign than it already was because I'm a first generation student and I was just super overwhelming and I struggled with it.
4: Did you end up applying to more schools than you thought you would?
5: Um, sort of, yeah, I did. Um, I was initially just planning on go applying to safe schools or just like UCs, uh, but then I ended up applying to more schools than I had thought.
4: You considered going out of state, I understand. Did the pandemic play a role in your decision not to?
5: Definitely, yeah. I had initially planned to go outside um, because I wanted to like make uh, new experiences and see different weather. I've been living in L.A. since forever, and I hardly travel. And when the pandemic shook, and we had to social distance, and I was away from a lot of my friends and family, Uh, it really made me realize how I took for granted having my friends and family with me. And I knew that going out of state was definitely not something that I could be able to handle.
4: (laughs) How are you feeling now? And do you know what you're gonna major in?
5: I'm feeling definitely better. And I am going to UC Berkeley for chemical engineering.
4: Well, Maria Maldonado, we wish you the very best of luck. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you very much.
4: We also have on the line with us Jacqueline Kame, a high school senior who will be attending community college next fall. Jacqueline Kame, thanks so much for joining us.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
4: So it sounded like in your case that your time at home actually made it a little easier to apply to schools. Why was that?
6: So for me, the reason why um, this pandemic actually made it a little bit easier for me to focus on my applications was because I'm actually the captain of my school's national award-winning dance team. And in a typical year, we spend between 12 and 15 hours every week practicing our routines so that we can prepare for national competitions. And so that's a very time-consuming activity. So what the the pandemic actually did was it allowed me some time to really reflect even more so on who I am, what I know I want to do in the future, and what career path I'm interested in. And so that helped me learn a lot more about myself. And it also gave me time to research the colleges that I was really interested in going to.
4: I know you initially planned to go to a four-year school and study psychology and got into two of your top choices, but what did you decide was ultimately right for you and why? So the decision to
6: decide... Um, which school I would go with was actually it was quite a difficult choice because I was really excited about these top two schools that I got into and I was really excited about going but one of the biggest problems with where to go was actually finances and so my parents worked really hard they saved as much money as they could so that our family could be in the middle class and then the major problem came in where we were in a bracket where we wouldn't be receiving financial aid, but we also weren't at the top where we could pay for the entire college tuition on our own. And so that presented a real big challenge when deciding where to go, because I also have a younger brother who I wanna consider when determining where, where I'm going to go and making sure that there's also enough money to support him while also supporting my own family. And so even though it was a very difficult decision because it became a question of deciding between a dream of going to a four year institution but also trying to keep my family in a strong financial standing. Ultimately, what I decided to do was I'm deciding to go to community college because the first two years of tuition are free, and so that's going to save like, between $70,000 and $140,000, which is definitely really going to help my family, and I'll be able to get my GEs done, enter an honor, honors scholars program where I can take different honors classes, and then hopefully transfer into the university of my dreams going for it again.
4: Well, Jacqueline Kame, so how are you feeling about that decision now? You sound pretty
6: excited. I actually am really excited about this decision. At first, I was a little bit disappointed because, like I was saying initially, my dream was to go straight into a four-year institution, but now that I can see the benefits of community college and I'll also be helping my family, I feel a lot better about my decision, and I'm actually very excited to go to community college.
4: Jacqueline Kame, thanks so much for talking with us, and congratulations.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
4: Again, we're talking about college admissions during a pandemic year. We're hearing from high school seniors and also from Audrey Dow, Senior Vice President at the Campaign for College Opportunity, a California nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Californians attend and succeed in school. We were just saying before the break, Audrey Dow, that so few students or at least community colleges are seeing a massive decline in enrollment. Why don't more students take this road? Because as I understand it, transfer students have a higher admission rate and are more likely to be able to be admitted to the school of their choice two years later. Well, one, I
1: think that, you know, we are seeing this massive drop in our California community colleges because students are are opting not to go into higher education, um, period. They are, again, having to work, having to support their families. They're unsure about what their their future holds. Um, I think with regards to transfer, I think there is, in many ways, um, in many situations, a real myth out there that um, it is easy to go to a California community college, do your two years and then transfer um, immediately to a four-year university. When in reality, it really is only about 4% of those 2 million students that will transfer in two years. Um, And when you bump up the, the, the time to six years, you only have you know, just under 40% of all students transferring to a four-year university. So imagine that, Mina. only, again, under 40% of California community college students are transferring. After six years of being enrolled, um, we do have some real challenges with our transfer system in the California community colleges. And so it ends up being quite expensive in the long run.
4: I was going to ask you why Why is it that so if you actually ultimately do that step of transferring, in part, it sounds like it's economic.
1: A, a majority of the reason is because there aren't clear pathways um, mm. existing right now at our California community colleges. And there's insufficient counseling in many instances. So students aren't uh, counseled and supported in a structured way to get quickly onto a degree slash transfer pathway, and then supported to get those courses to to finish up. And so there is a lot of work happening um, to to strengthen that pathway and to make sure students uh, quickly can um, get on a pathway day one to to finish. But until that happens, we'll continue to see really what is it we call a transfer maze and these low rates of transfer continue.
4: Well, we had a couple of comments come in that I'd like to share with you. Daisy from Oakland Technical High School, who will be attending Dartmouth next fall, writes, Since my classes were fully virtual, I spent my entire school day on a computer. And after school, I spent my afternoons drafting essays or researching colleges online. So I was staring at a screen for more than 10 hours. However, I had a lot of opportunities to research colleges thoroughly. There were a lot more virtual opportunities for researching colleges this year, and I hope they will continue even after the pandemic is over because they are very helpful for students who aren't able to travel to see a campus or an admissions officer face-to-face. Rosa, a senior at Skyline High School in Oakland, who's heading to Cal State L.A., wrote this. I wanted to go to New York. That was my one real out-of-state option. But at the time, my parents were like, COVID cases there are out of control. So I decided to look at California public schools. I got into three out of eight schools. It kind of sucked because I felt like I'd really applied myself and got invested in some of these schools and didn't get into many. I figured that it would be more competitive this year because a lot of kids elected to keep children close to home like my parents did. I felt like when I was applying, I really had to pick the schools that I really wanted to go to, but also buckle down on my safeties, too." We're inviting you, our listeners, to also join the conversation. 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you'd like to weigh in. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. You can tell us, parents or students, what your experience applying to college was like this year, how you're feeling now about your options, what is influencing your final decisions. Joining me now is Jeff Salingo, author of Who Gets In and Why? A Year Inside College Admissions, and also There Is Life After College and College Unbound, The Future of Higher Education and What It Means for Students. Jeff Salingo, thanks so much for joining us.
7: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
4: You know, I'm struck by Rosa's comment about applying to eight schools and only getting into three One of the things that happens, of course, is is if you see record numbers of applications at the most competitive schools, is that you're going to see kids getting a lot of rejection letters, right?
7: We're definitely seeing that. And and it all starts with a list. And we're now the class of high school class of 2022 is going through this, where they're starting to put together their college list. And I think what ended up happening this year is that when 600-plus colleges went test optional last summer because of the pandemic – you had all these students say, oh, why not apply to Harvard or your UCLA or whatever it might be?" Right, colleges that they probably wouldn't have thought uh, they wouldn't have thought to uh, to apply to in the past. And so we saw a little kind of what I would call a little creep up upwards into those stretch schools or those dream schools that might have been on their list. And in some cases, I think students had too many of them on their list. And with all the other students doing the same thing. You know, you had all these students this year who didn't get into any schools or not many at all to have a good choice at the end.
4: You wrote a piece for The Washington Post calling out the Ivy Leagues, I think, in particular. Harvard and its peers should be embarrassed about how few students they educate. That was the headline. You say their minuscule admission rates are a sign of failure, not success. What do you mean by that?
7: Well, when you think about it, you know they're now rejecting because I think we should talk less about their acceptance rate and more about their rejection rate. They're now rejecting ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven percent of students who apply. Um, and so, when you don't feel like you have any chance of of getting in, and when there's so much more demand, right? Applications to Harvard this year went up forty two percent. And when I was embedded in these admissions offices for the year I spent inside college admissions for the book Who Gets In and Why. Over and over again, admissions officers would say to me, we could enroll five or six times the number of students we do and not have any impact on quality. That was the number of high-quality applicants they were getting. And the fact is is that even as the number of high school graduates has grown by 42% uh, since nineteen eighty the Ivy League enrollment as a whole has stayed at 14%, right? So most of these colleges have not grown at all, or they've grown essentially by maybe 10, 20 or a couple hundred students over the last 30 or 40 years. And, And there's just no reason I understand they're private institutions, but they get a huge public subsidy, both through the tax code, uh, as well as uh, federal financial aid and federal research dollars. There's no reason that they can't grow a little bit more in order to sustain the huge demand by high quality students who want their education.
4: And what do you see as the downstream effects of that?
7: Well, it's obviously there's you know some of these students obviously are now not going to go to schools you know a little further down the pecking order, but we have huge demand for higher education from around the world uh, for uh, U.S. institutions. So it's not going to put necessarily downstream institutions out of business. It's just going to resort where students are are going, and I, I don't see anything anything wrong with that. There's no reason why that these institutions that spend a tremendous amount of money on education can't diversify their student bodies more, right? So largely, they still are uh, helping students who, uh, uh, you know, where their parents or grandparents went to these schools, legacies, uh, students from certain high schools, they still have feeder high schools. So there's no reason they can't enlarge their freshman class a little bit to meet that demand.
4: And uh, do you want to say a little bit more about just how powerful they really are in terms of socioeconomic mobility if you have a school like this by your name?
7: Oh, it's amazing, right? That if you go to one of these schools and you're in the bottom twenty percent of American incomes, uh, you your chances of ending up in the top ten percent or even one percent are hugely helped by going to one of these schools. But the problem is is that you know they enroll more people in the top one percent than they do in the bottom twenty percent. So it's not that you know, in many ways, where you go to college doesn't matter because if you come from a family, with, you know, the means to help you. And this was the issue with the Varsity Blue scandal a couple of years ago with the stars who tried to get their, their sons and daughters into the top schools, right? They had all of this social capital to get their kids, you know, well-positioned for after college. But if you come from one of those bottom 20% of families in terms of American income, and you go to one of these schools, you're going to be shot into the top 1%, you know, so much more easily than if you went to any other school. So it does matter where you go for, for low-income students, first-generation students, students of color. And, and, and many of these Ivy schools and near Ivy schools are just not enrolling enough of those students.
4: Hmm. Well, let me go to caller Anne in Mountain View. Hi, Anne.
2: Hi. Uh, I wanted to add a little more information about the community college to transfer experience. Um, first of all, there's guaranteed transfer for many of the um, the programs. So um, giving a statistic of how many people go to community college and then transfer and saying that that's your, your chances is not realistic. The majority of people who go to community college and take community college classes aren't even going for a degree or a degree program. Um, they, they may have other reasons like high school students who are taking classes and, uh, uh, that the, you know, concurrent enrollment classes or um, people in the community who are taking classes. In mm. our local community, hundreds of students, hundreds go every year to the top tier UCs like Berkeley and UCLA, where only a handful get in applying as seniors. So that's, that's a very wrong uh, way of looking at it. Um, it's, you're, you, it really is a good situation going as a transfer, and there's guaranteed transfer to most of the um, UCs if you keep a certain GPA and you're in that program. However, mm. I will say this. The state needs to do a better job of supporting the community colleges so that they can offer the classes on a more regular basis and online. Because um, the problem is that um, students don't know that they can get the classes until they register, and the, and the community colleges are very constrained in um, in offering classes with a very high minimum number of students. If they don't meet that minimum, they have to cancel it. And this can affect how long it takes Mm. students to be able to fulfill their their transfer requirements. And you are raising
4: a lot of things. I'd love to get Audrey and also Jeff to respond. Audrey.
1: Audrey. Thanks so much, Mina. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You
1: know, I think that, you know, the research that we do at the campaign for college opportunity does you know, indicate that the majority of students who go to a community college do intend to transfer. They do believe that, um, you know, they want to get their, their, uh, their two-year degree um, and it's an affordable pathway um, at, to go to a four-year university. And when it works, it is fantastic. And the caller's is absolutely right. There are transfer guarantees that exist through the associate degree transfer, through UC, what's called TAG agreements, Um, Sometimes the issues happen to be around where students want to go at the end. Most of these guarantees um, are guarantees to the UC system, the CSU system, not a particular campus. And so a lot of students opt then not to utilize those guarantees because um, they can't get into necessarily their campus of choice. But still, even within uh, the guarantee programs um, that are available to students, Far too few are, are transferring, and I would say that, you know, when, when, you know, with looking at students who intend to transfer, when over 60% of those students don't transfer after six years, I, I don't think that's a statistic we can be proud of, but I, I do think it is a call to action.
4: Again, we're talking about college admissions during this pandemic year, what the experience was like and what it tells us about the process that may need to change. If you want to join the conversation, 866-733-6786 is the number. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're hearing from high school seniors in California about their college admissions experience in this COVID year. And we're also talking with uh, Audrey Dow, Campaign for College Opportunity, a California nonprofit policy and research organization. Audrey Dow is senior vice president there. And Jeff Salingo, author of several books about higher education, including Who Gets In and Why, A Year Inside College Admissions. You, our listeners, are with us telling us what your experience was like, how you're feeling about your options, now. What's influencing your decisions about school? 866 6786 the number, email address, forum at kqed.org. Post comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED forum. A couple more comments we received. Tristan from Culver City High School, who's deciding between Syracuse and Hobart and Smith Colleges in New York, wrote... The application process was easier because there was downtime with the pandemic for me, but it was so much harder to get in because every school I applied to was getting a record number of applicants. I looked for a school with a strong student government. I wanted a school where they give responsibilities and ruling power and governance to students. The application process really helped me decide my priorities, like how far away do I want to be, major, graduation and retention rates. There are pros and cons to every school. Vivian from Mark Keppel High School in Alhambra writes... When I got waitlisted to my dream school, I gave it more consideration that it was better for me to go to a school I got accepted to because there was a very slim chance I would get in off the waitlist. With that taken into consideration, I also thought about costs, location, school environment, and other factors. Jeff Salingo, can you talk about what happened with waitlists this year, and what do you think of Vivian's choice?
7: Uh, the waitlist is an interesting thing because it's a bit of a misnomer. You know, when we think of a waitlist, we think of, you know, going to a crowded restaurant and walking in and all the tables are taken. And so you just get on this list and, you know, maybe there's like 10 people on it and you know exactly where you fit on it. The thing about the waitlist uh, at most colleges, universities, they actually build it into their enrollment model. In other words, they accept fewer students knowing that they're going to pull students off the wait list. And why do they do that? Because they might want to look more selective by Accepting fewer students. And so they know they'll accept fewer students because they have all these students on the waitlist. Now at some colleges, the waitlist itself might be bigger than the entire freshman class they're waiting for. So mm. at Davidson College, for example, which was one of the schools I was embedded with uh, for the book, you know, their freshman class is only five, six hundred kids. And their waitlist might be twice as big. And the year I was there, they only pulled 24 students off that waitlist. And the other thing about the waitlist is that they don't have any order to it, right? So when when they have an opening, they look for the type of student they really want. That might be a full pay student. That might be a student from California. That might be a humanities major. Whatever they need more of in that class, that's how they pick students off from the waitlist. So I always tell students, um, you know, don't depend on that, right? If that's your, if that, that always should be a plan B, your plan A should be to get into a school you can actually get a, a real offer for right from the beginning.
4: Audrey Dow, do you say the same thing? I would. And,
1: uh, you know, I think the good news, though, that we're hearing, Mina, with all of these student callers is that it, it is clear that students are understanding the value of a higher education and i think that this is the big you know challenge and message we want to send out to your listeners is that you know college those with a college degree weathered this pandemic much better than those without a college degree and we know that's true you know about weathering unemployment weathering poverty a college degree is still incredibly valuable and when we see things like you know nearly a quarter million students fall out Of higher education via the community colleges that should really alarm all of us and so you know i am glad again to hear all of these callers um talking about applying to various schools that's what we want students to be doing applying to a a breadth of schools um, and not falling
9: off that college track because Mm -hmm. they they need to stay on
4: well let me go to caller cynthia in oakland hi cynthia
9: yes uh what a pleasure to be on um I'm a person of a certain age um but what I want to say is that um my uh grandmother was Armenian descent and you know uh came came to this country uh by boat at the, at the turn of the century. My mother died when I was real young. I always had a dream to go to college and anyways uh it was uh i want to say I very much support first-generation support. I, You know, I did my own homework myself. I applied to schools on my own because my grandmother couldn't um, help me. Uh, I went into the military uh, with two years of college. Then I finished at uh, Uni- University of Maryland. Um, I started two graduate programs, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't able to finish them because... I didn't have the self confidence in, in in myself. I I, I mm-hmm. did not have the self confidence and um and I do work for um I work for county gov- government. I'm not going to tell you what I do, but I work for county government, but my goal still at this age is to go back uh and I will finish.
4: Mm-hmm.
9: Uh, uh more than likely uh law school. I've been to law school and I was in a PhD program. But it's very important, very well, important for first generation to have the academic <clears throat> and the emotional support yes. uh, to complete. And I that's what I'd like your um your guests to um you know yes. comment on, please.
4: Right. I mean I I think you've certainly emphasized it and uh they've been emphasizing it as well, and I just wanna say go for it, Cynthia, and <laughs> thanks for calling in. Uh Joining me now is Juan Garcia, senior at Compton Early College High School, who will be attending Brown next fall. Juan Garcia, thanks so much for joining us.
10: Hi, thank you for having me.
4: So one of the things I learned was that your biggest challenge, or at least one of the ones you pointed to, was filling out the financial aid form. Can you talk about that?
10: Yeah, so my parents didn't go to college. They have no experience with the college application process. Um, They had very little experience because my older brother applied to college, but even then they weren't really knowledgeable. And as much as they tried to be helpful and cooperate with me, it was still challenging because first time applying to college, first time seeing all of this, it was difficult for me to explain to them and communicate with them about tax forms and getting that information because then it's also a bit um, they find it a bit sort of, you know, sketchy. Like, why are they asking all this information? Like, why do they need to know how much we're making a year and how much we got? So it was definitely a challenge.
4: How did you manage to get through those challenges?
10: So my school actually offered a lot of resources. Uh, we had a counselor who was able to set up a lot of workshops and, you know, get people who are familiar with the college application process whether it be students who had already applied and were going to college or just other counselors. So they were able to get people to help us. And they would set up like weekly workshops to help us walk through these processes.
4: And let me just ask you this, uh, Juan Garcia, before I let you go. Why was it important for you to aim high when applying to college? What does it mean to you to go to Brown this fall?
10: Well, going to Brown would mean everything to me this fall. Um, just because my parents, they didn't have as many opportunities as I do now. Uh, they're not from this country. Uh, so that makes me first generation. And as a first generation, it's very important for me to go to college because it'll open up so many doors and so many opportunities that my parents couldn't even like think of.
4: Well, Juan Garcia, best of luck to you, and thanks so much for sharing your experience with us.
10: Thank you for having me.
4: Audrey Dow once again, underscoring the importance of, of counseling and support that both you and Cynthia were talking about. And I also would love to get your reaction to Andrea's comment. Andrea writes, let's talk more about our public colleges and the insane requirements. Kids with over 4.0 are getting rejected or waitlisted to UCs. When did having to have a more than 4.0 become a thing? My daughter applied to UC Davis, Berkeley, Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, San Diego, Los Angeles and Irvine. She only got into Irvine with her 4.4 and slew of AP classes. She was rejected, Waitlisted listed at other schools. San Diego State is harder to get into than many of the UCs. What is going on with our public college system? What are your reactions to what Andrea is saying, Audrey Dow?
1: Well, Andrea, I think that you are in good company with a lot of other families uh, in California and across the country. You know, our, our public colleges in California are some of the best um, in the world, and there is high demand for them. And unfortunately, our you know state has has not really kept up with, uh, with demand and not just student demand, but really the, the demand that our economy uh, demands, right? We are living in a time when a bachelor's degree is really the, the uh, prerequisite for, for any job these days um, that is going to move you into the middle class if, if you're low income. And so, you know, we have a, a system of higher education in California that was designed in the 1960s uh, when you didn't need a college education um, to enter into the workforce um, and be successful. We still have arbitrary caps in California for our California State University that by design says that we're only gonna take the top 30% in our UC an even smaller percent, 12%, 9% in some instances. And so there's a real issue around how many spots we have available um, you know, the student, the, the person who called in, you know, to say that their, their student applied to several UCs and only got into UC Irvine. Well, one, congratulations. Um, UC Irvine is a fantastic school. Go ant eaters. Um, <laughs> is that your alma mater? It is not. But, you know, winning any spot at the UC is, is winning the lottery. Um, In my opinion, as as is the Cal State University. So I I hope the caller's um, student child is feeling um, excellent about that about that option. But we absolutely need to have a conversation in California with our legislator, uh, with our legislature, with our governor about significantly expanding the space that's within um, our public colleges and universities to serve more students. And I think that this pandemic has opened up some potential opportunities for us to get more serious about you know, hybrid learning, um, about the sharing of campus resources. We have 116 California community colleges across the state. How can UCLA partner with the, the wonderful network of Los Angeles community college district campuses to have more physical space, to offer pro, better programs that you know allow you to go to a community college um, you know for two three years and then earn a baccalaureate degree i think there's a lot of innovation um, that can be implemented that doesn't necessarily mean we have to build more bricks and mortar um, there is bricks and mortar um, can we prioritize the resources to um, expand space the number of spots for students, especially when our economy is demanding more baccalaureate degrees. Mm.
4: Let me go to Michael in Kensington. Hi, Michael. Thanks for calling.
11: Yes. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm calling in as a, someone who's been a D- Dean or Director of Admissions for the past, I don't know, 20 plus years. And I I, I think that one of the big misnomers out there is is that there is a um, A lot of weight on where you go as an undergrad in terms of your success in life and the data just does not show that the data does not show that i i would strongly encourage people if you haven't picked it up uh read frank bruni where you go is not who you'll be um look at the data new york times did a wonderful data analysis the upshot the college access index about top colleges in terms of economic uh mobility and you'll see most of those colleges on that list are actually not in the Ivy League, where uh, family income, student income increases significantly in terms of mobility. Mm. And I say this as someone who's done admissions both uh, in the Ivy League as well as uh, the UC and other places,
4: well, Michael, uh, and also done yeah.
11: graduated and professional school admissions.
4: Well, I, I have to thank you. I'm so glad to have that perspective, Jeff Salingo. Would you agree with Michael's assessment?
7: I mean, he's absolutely right that, uh, that especially around low income students going to schools where there's a lot of, of low income students and they serve them well, uh, they end up moving up the income mobility ladder as well. The thing about the Ivies is that. Ah, uh, because of their far reach, their vast resources, and their incredible networks. If you are a low-income student and you get the, you know, the you're lucky enough to go there, and it really is luck sometimes. Um, they really will shoot you beyond anything else. And so, for low-income students, it, in some ways, it does matter where you go um, because they don't have the 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 social capital that many middle class and upper middle class and wealthy families have for success after college. But I do agree with the the caller that for many students, it doesn't matter where you go. And in fact, you could look at the, uh, now the college scorecard, uh, the federal government college scorecard has outcomes by major uh, per school. So you could go Mm -hmm. on the college scorecard, you could look at specific majors and if earnings are important to you, and I think there's more than going to college than what you earn afterwards, but if that's important to you, you can see earnings across a variety of different schools are actually pretty similar in some majors, no matter where you go. So I think that proves that that point. But I think particularly for low income students, in some ways, it does matter.
4: Well, very quickly, Jeff, uh, we just have about 20 seconds or so. What are the things that were tried in this admissions year that you would like to see admissions keep?
7: Well, I think that the virtual gatherings really helped students, particularly from high schools that never see a admissions officer visit them, right? I, I interviewed students from my book that they were more likely to see a recruiter for the army than they were to see a recruiter for a college. This year, colleges were able to get to high schools and reach high school students they never were able to reach mm. before. That mm. I would like to see stay.
4: Well, Jeff Salingo, Audrey Dow, all of our student guests, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks to Blanca Torres for producing this segment. You're listening to Forum, I'm Mina Kim. And in celebration of National Poetry Month in April, we asked listeners to submit recordings of their original poems for a chance to be featured on air. This week, we're featuring a poem from Paul Kelly Campos in South San Francisco.
12: My name is Paul Kelly Campos, and the name of this piece is Popo Catepel. As I washed my hands, they felt like a stranger's, blue-veined and purple-nailed. And as I glanced through the foggy window, I caught a glimpse of myself on the roof with you. On the roof, gravel shifting beneath us, you nudge out of the moist soil the green buds you've been working so hard on. The world is so large out here. I try my best to take it in with a breath. Standing below, you hand me the planter, and within it I can feel the wet, grainy heat of the life struggling to bloom. Quedate quieto. You yell to me in a command, as you prepare what looks like golden empanadas in the kitchen. Estás como un niño baboso. Sentate. This loving and necessary ridicule casts you in the light of a different evening, in a house made of white adobe and reddish tiles, where the smell of fire, steaming earth, and flour are not far away. Sitting finally, I am unable to stop laughing. Even with the warm food in my mouth, I laugh at myself at the absurdity around us and most of all at my inability to stop laughing. My laughter continues until I cannot remember laughing and can only recall sobbing sorrowfully. But you are so strong, strong in ways that, sometimes, I am not sure I deserve. You drape yourself around my shoulders like a quilt and cool me down by telling me the story of. Popocatépetl and each touch Paul Kelly Campos, thanks for sharing Popocatépetl with us.
4: Forum is produced by Ariana Prale, Blanca Torres, and Caroline Smith. Susan Britton is lead producer. Our interim senior editor is Judy Campbell. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin. Our interns are Leslie Torres and Kimia Akbari. Our executive editor is Ethan tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim.
0: The party to get naughty, get my rocks on, eat popcorn, watch you move your body to the pops on that I'm singing, ding a ling, funky beats ringing, everybody swinging in the place as I kick the Jay's easy, while style RB mixing it with the hip hop swing, B champagne in my hand, it won't be long till I'm gone. It's just the same old song. It's just the freestyle, meanwhile, we we'll keep the beat
2: kicking. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation